Hey, what's going on? Ray Woodson back with you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving week. And you know, on Triple Zally Report, I like talking to smart people. I think people like listening to smart people as opposed to listening to me all the time. And we've had people like John Miller, Ron Wotus, Farhan Zaidi, Ahmed Fareed, Tim Flannery, Ray Ratto, and players like Derek Rodriguez and Joe Panic. Well, this week we got another smart guy, Eno Saris, who writes very well about baseball for The Athletic. He's also smart because of where he had his meat, as will be revealed in a moment. But first to the news, and we have a couple of big stories surrounding the Giants. First of all, uh, co-owner Charles Johnson, through his attorney, released a statement saying he has asked the campaign of Mississippi U.S. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith to return a $5,400 donation that Johnson and his wife made after the senator's uh, public hanging comment. One of the Bay Area civil rights leaders who had called for a boycott of the Giants is now dropping that call. The Reverend Amos Brown, president of the San Francisco chapter of the NAACP, said he is going to rescind the call because Johnson is asking for the money back and Johnson will speak to him by phone Thursday in a call arranged by Giants president and CEO Larry Bear. Civil rights attorney John Burris, however, said he's not fully satisfied. He's pleased Johnson made the request, but wonders how genuine it is, wondering if it's only because of public backlash. And I think that's a fair question to ask. How are Giants fans reacting? Well, we will talk about that later in the podcast. Another news item this week, Giants are reportedly open to trade offers for Madison Bumgarner. We've been talking about this for weeks. It's more than just speculation now. This might actually be gaining some traction. We might actually be able to advance the story. Phillies and Brewers are said to be in the mix, according to John Paul Morosi of MLB.com. He says those teams have had at least preliminary dialogue with the Giants. The Braves also checked in earlier this offseason, sources tell Morosi, but there are no active talks and not much optimism a trade will be done with the Braves. And I love it when teams check in. Hey, check it in. Okay, later. Morosi also quotes sources who say new director of baseball operations for the Giants, Farhan Zaidi, is likely to ask for at least one high-end pitching prospect in the deal, and that squares with what we have heard. Another piece would have to be a contributing Major League bat or offensive prospect, prospect, you would think. And perhaps the prospect on offense is not as highly ranked as the pitching prospect. Point is, this is more than just speculation. Morosi is a pretty credible source. Something may percolate, and Zaidi is in a position to say, if it's not what I like, I can wait until the trade deadline next summer. Although, there is no certainty with that. You don't know where Bumgarner is at that point in terms of his performance, his health, or his value. Well, some names you might hear in trade talks, Phillies pitching prospects Sixto Sanchez, Adonis Medina, or Zach Eflin, Brewers pitchers Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. Well, heck, Woodruff went yard against Kershaw in the uh, NLCS. And Brewers hitting prospects Keston Hira and Corey Ray. A major league arm and a hitting prospect or a major league bat and a pitching prospect would seem like a fair trade as Bumgarner enters the final year of his contract. But how do other teams view Bumgarner versus how the Giants value him? We'll talk with Eno Saris about that in just a moment. But the Phillies, who are apparently linked to everyone short of Babe Ruth, have other options in free agency, and they've got cash to spend. Now, Bumgarner is a franchise icon. There is no doubt about that. And I know there are some fans out there who will be very upset if he goes. I also know that a lot of them will probably still wear the number 40 jersey even if he's gone. But this story's been talked about for several weeks, so I'm pretty sure many fans are emotionally prepared, and many realize it may be the best way for the Giants to speed up their reboot. And we'll talk about that much more now with Eno Saras of The Athletic. And as you may know, Eno is a beer aficionado, and we had a casual talk 
over a couple of brews. All right, we're pleased now to chat with Eno Saras of The Athletic, and pleased because he said, well, let's meet someplace where we can have some beer, and I said, twist my arm. <laughs> so here we are at the Rare Barrel in Berkeley, and uh, I got a feeling that uh, you're on the home field advantage here. That's right. I, I enjoy this spot, and I just I actually wanted to give them a shout-out because I think people think this is a spot that you just come for sour beer, and some people don't like sour beer, and I understand that. Um, my wife doesn't like it. My mom says it's vinegar, and you should put it on your salad. I get it. I get it but they they've really stepped up their guest list and even if there's people in your party that aren't sure that they want to have sour beer there'll be stuff here from trillium uh cellar maker all over the u.s these guys have been going to beer festivals and coming home uh with great beer so it's a, it's a really nice spot and, and just to give people a, a word picture here we're in a warehouse filled with barrels but they have a section cordoned off here where you can do some tasting and it's pretty cool. And I was not aware of this. I'm glad to come out here and, and see all this and try my first sour beer. And so I am under the influence of sour beer doing this <laughs> podcast. Just to let you all know out there. Yeah, you might have built up a, a bit of a, an immunity to it uh, at this point. But you got yourself some raspberry strawberry. And I got, what did I get? You I got, got a, the. You got a wet hop. He got a wet hop. Uh, uh, golden sour, which is really cool because it, it's kind of a crossover. If you like IPAs, normally yes. you get the kind of the feeling of the IPA, but a little mm -hmm. bit of tartness too. So yeah, I, I definitely got that. <laughs> got that start up, but it's not bad. It's not bad. I'm enjoying it. All right, let's get down to uh, baseball talk. If only there was something to talk about with the Giants right now. So let me start with Madison Bumgarner because that's in the news. Uh -huh. Sounds like uh, the Phillies may be in the mix here, a couple of other teams. Certainly the Phillies have prospects. Brewers have prospects that they uh -huh. can deal. If you're Farhan Zaidi, I mean, first of all, I think you have to consider this at this point, the Giants' uh -huh. development, right? Yeah. So, so what are you looking for? I mean, I, I definitely put trade Madison Bumgarner on my list of offseason ideas for the Giants. And I think the really tough part here is that there's not really a consensus about what Madison Bumgarner is right now. And that's, that's a piece I'm writing for tomorrow for The Athletic is just exactly what is his talent level. Because we know him here in the Bay Area as a championship winner and, and a frontline ace, top 10 type guy. But we can also probably see the radar gun readings, uh, and we've noticed you know a couple more homers recently, and, and, and since the last couple of injuries, and you know not quite as good play on the road. So, uh, you know, there's always the entanglement of AT&T Park and how much that uh, makes the pitcher look better. So, there are some play, uh, some people out there, and then maybe they're in the with the Phillies and with the Brewers that don't care that he throws 91. The Brewers last year went as far as they did with the worst fastball velocity of any starting rotation in big leagues so they might say hey we like what he does here and here and we don't care so much about the fastball velocity um other other teams like the yankees were all about fastball velocity you know they had the highest fastball velocity in the league so it'll it'll come down to what they what the other team is looking for it always does but i think one of the things that that they want back is a bat I think, and, and, and probably maybe even a major league bat or just like a, a very close bat because I think it, with Triples Alley, with the park the way it is, it's very hard to get bats to sign here. It's very hard to get bats to agree to come here. I think that's one thing we saw with the Giancarlo Stanton thing. I mean, I think they were pretty close with that. They had, they had a structure on the table and Stanton was just like, ah, I've been, I've been doing this. I don't really want to go to that kind of park. I talked to Farhan Zaidi when he was introduced, and that's one of the questions I asked him. You know, a lot of people think that you can't 
attract a free agent slugger here. Well, we've seen that. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily agree with that, but if I'm him, why would I agree with I mean, that? I asked Sabian and, and, uh, and Evans that same thing, and, yeah. and of course, that's, we're at the winter meetings. They're trying to get Stanton to come at that moment. They're not going to say anything publicly. But. Right. And then Sabian turns around and says, yeah, you can't attract. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, okay, you're disagreeing with Brian Sabian. That's okay. I'm sure you guys will have a talk about that. But, but I mean, uh, no, you don't want to cut down your options, so you're not going to say anything like that. But it's, uh, every, we all know it, it's just going to be hard to do that. So it's got to be via trade. Well, it's got to be by a draft. I, I would also consider changing the dimensions of the park. I know a lot of people hate that, and they love this park. But I think there's something as simple as drawing a line on the bricks uh, in out there. We don't have to actually change anything. We draw a line on those bricks. It still looks like AT&T Park. But what we do is we make AT&T Park play closer to the norm. And if you looked at any other team that has an extreme ballpark, they've done this. San Diego brought the fences in. Seattle brought the fences in. New York brought the fences in. Arizona out of the humidor, Colorado out of the humidor. So I think that extreme ballparks just make it hard. Just think about uh, a young batter like Ryder Jones. You know, what if he'd come up in Colorado? Every hit is a hit. Every time he puts the ball in play, it's a hit. He feels like all I have to do is put the ball in play, have good at bats, and I'm going to be amazing. Up here, he, you know, hits a ball 335, 355 feet, yeah. you know, to Triples Alley. And a can of corn. A can of corn. So, uh, uh, you know, I think it does things mentally. I mean, if you're a pitcher coming up in Colorado, what, what, what is that like? So, um, you know, I think uh, the trend in baseball is to bring parks closer to the norm. Well, we could always put a basket there like at Wrigley Field on the bricks and have people dive over the metal oh, yeah. <laughs> to try to get them. But my, my deal, and that's not a bad idea, just to draw a line. My, my deal is why don't you just move up home plate five feet or, or ten feet. And then if you're Larry Bear, you can build more oh, box seats more behind seats. home plate. I mean, that would appeal to everybody. You could, uh, you know, the, the owners would love that and, you know, you, you'd have a little more action. That's literally how they sold it in San Diego. There's like a little a little cutout in the outfield where they put in the Jack Daniels seats. Right. You know, they got a sponsor right. even. Right. That was a good deal. They, you know, listen, you can make a lemonade out of any kind of lemon with, with the ballpark configurations, you know. But it sounds like Larry Bear is dead set against that. And, and the bottom line is, if the owners finally say, hey, let's do this, they'll do it. But I don't sense a groundswell of support among the fans for one thing or another when it comes to that. I would say that it's almost against it. They, fans in general like the, like the way that – and also, I think there's a feeling of, hey, we won three. Yeah. You know, so it can't be the ballpark. But – you know, there's also a, maybe a change in the ball right now. There's definitely a change in offensive levels since three years ago, four years ago. Uh, and you have to think about that as well. When everyone's hitting homers nonstop and it's just impossible to hit them in San Francisco because it's cold. It's not just the park size. It's, it's the fact that it's a cold park. You know, it's, a, it's one of the coldest. And we know this as Bay Areans. Other people are like, oh, you know, it's cold. It's cold. It's cold. <laughs> Come by July 10th. I'll show you cold. You know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the thing is, we, we've talked about it on the air. We talked about it on the air four or five years ago. The game is changing, and the Giants have not adjusted to it. I don't necessarily think it's that they're against analytics. They mm -hmm. incorporate that. It's just that what you see on the field doesn't reflect, you know, that change that we've seen in other teams and the way the game is going. So, I don't know. We'll see what Farhan Zaidi does and how he hires, you know, with the general manager and the director of minor league development and all that. But it sounds like they've made 
you know, they've had that epiphany, whatever it is, that whatever we're doing, we have to go even further in that direction to make it more analytics-based. I would expect them to be both coming and going uh, and be confusing. And I think the reason I say this is because Farhan came from Billy Bean. You know, that's how he grew up. And if you ever watch Billy Bean, you know about confusing and coming and going. Yeah. He, he, he traded for Chris Davis the year after they lost like 98 games or something. You know, they, they, they do things like they, they, they traded players away, a ton of players away, and then signed Yoan Cespedes the same offseason. You know, so I, I think that that's sort of the key to what to building a, a sustainable winning organization right now is that you need to have two horizons. Mm -hmm. You have a you have like what's happening this year, I want to make a competitive team this year every year. Right. But also where is my where is my salary going in general? Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that the Giants did, they did win uh, and they did a really good job. One thing that they did too much of I think was rewarding people for what they've done in the past, especially World Series heroes. There were some contracts that we gave out to people that, you know, given their age, maybe it wasn't the best idea. <coughs> Aubrey Huff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he's not the only one. And yeah. uh, in some of these extensions that they, they handed out to, to the Brandons and stuff, those are, they're not terrible deals, but they're not, you're locking yourself into the player and you're not really giving yourself much flexibility, which you're seeing now, because now they have you know, nearly 175, 180 million locked down already uh, for a team that's probably going to be a losing team next year. Yeah, yeah. The way things are now, it looks that way. Well, I want to talk about Belt, but uh, just getting back to Bumgarner real quick. I, I think this is one of those where the player may be more valuable to his team than he is to another team they're looking at out there. But like you said, it depends on the circumstances. The Brewers could probably hang with him giving them five good innings because their bullpen is unbelievable, right? So if they keep that bullpen intact, a guy like him fits what they have to do and I think fits what the Giants need because there's a lot of good prospects there, yeah. uh, position players in particular. I'd, I'd want to get a bat. I'd want to get a major league arm or vice versa yeah. and, and see if – I think that would be a fair return for this guy right now. The problem then is just that uh, you you have to hope that the Brewers value Bumgarner as a top 20 pitcher, top 15 pitcher. Um, if they value him as a top 50 pitcher, uh, you know, and that's kind of the range that I've talked to front offices. That's kind of the range. Some people think he's kind of a middle guy, and some people th still think he's a, a back-end ace guy. So, you know, it depends on that. And I think that if it if they do, you know. I say shop, but as they do talk to different teams about Bumgarner and they start getting back too many people saying, we just think he's like a number three or number four at this point, they won't trade him because in that case, I think he does mean more to this. To this and then you're not bringing anything back that will change your future. You're just uh, getting a couple of uh, things to dream on. This is not a team that needs to cut money just to cut money. Right. You know, this is not a team that can't spend $200 million on a payroll. So they're not going to eat half of Brandon Belt's contract and get almost nothing in return. Like, they're not going to do that sort of deal. Yeah, and, and that's another one where he may be more valuable to the Giants right now because unless they decide they want to go full-time with Buster Posey at first base, and they're not there yet. So, and Joey Bart's still a couple of years away. Right. So that, that kind of plays into it as well. But I think if you're the Giant, I don't think – Belt's contract is something that can be a hindrance to, to a certain team in the right ballpark, right? 
Well, I, I just personally would love to see Brandon Belt go somewhere like Hitters Park yeah. and finally hit 30 homers like I know he can. Yeah. We all know he can. We've been waiting for it for five years. This is the year it happens. Year. No, no, he ends up getting hurt and has 16 home runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, some of those years were paced for 30. Yeah, yeah the concussions yeah. are an issue, um, you know, and he says he's comfortable here and he'd like to stay. I could see I, – I, I put a, a trade in my athletic piece that was um, – Kind of a, it was like Greg Bird from the Yankees and Sonny Gray uh, for for Belt, and I just thought that was a way that they could get uh, you know another first baseman back, but also a pitcher that might might be flippable you know this year if he works again with uh, his old pitching coach and and refines the magic a little bit. Um, you know, I, I that, and the other the other thing I had was like you know Jeff Samarja seems. To Yankee, to, to Giants fans, is probably someone that's untradeable. But uh, Farhan, when he was with the Dodgers, did that trade for Matt Kemp, where they traded Adrian Gonzalez, and that was seemed like they were just moving dollar signs around. But they got a viable player out of Matt Kemp, so I could see maybe a trade with Jeff Samarja that turns into uh, a player that they like better coming back. So th- yeah. there's there'll be the coming and going. They'll they'll sign a free agent. You know, they'll sign a free agent for this year, I think. It'll just, it, and it may, might be a head scratcher, but maybe that's a, someone you trade for prospects later, or, or he just helps for this year. We've seen a trend, and we're talking to Eno Saras at the Athletic here, and that'll give him a chance to sip on that beer that's, that's mocking us right now. In fact, I'll do the same. This is very unprofessional, but it's not bad. That's not bad. It's my first sour, and it's, and it's not bad at all. And, and, you know, I'm expecting. Oh my God! What's happening in my taste buds? So not bad at all. It's actually an endorsement, but, but um, we've seen the, the, this uh, trend toward, for example, Josh Donaldson, high average annual value, short term, and you know that may be what ends up happening with a guy like Bumgarner down the road. Yeah, especially with the velocity down to 91, that's below average even for a lefty. And in this days, the average velocity in, in the big leagues is 93, 94, and um, so you might, and it, with those injury, with the injury history, you might give him that kind of contract and say, hey, you know, we don't maybe know what your true talent velocity is right now because you had the liner off the, the hand and you had the, the shoulder accident, the, the bike accident. So I think that it's a little bit less likely with pitchers uh, because of the injury risk. And, you, you know, you're just as likely to lose a year with a pitcher. You almost want to sign him to three and get two out of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a hitter, they feel like, if I can just, you know, Donaldson thinks, because you have to think from the, 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 the player's side too, you know, Donaldson thinks if I can just stay healthy and be who I am this year, I'll, I'll have much more money waiting for me on the other side. But in general, I did notice when I looked at the market that the, the, the number of years given to free agents, unless you're uh, like a 26-year-old, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, uh, Jason Hayward, those kind of deals, if you're that young, they'll give you a long deal because you might get a, a, a better year in the future, and you also won't be in your 30s that soon. Right. But if you're a 31, 32, 33-year-old free agent, like many are these days, you're not getting more than two or three years. Todd Frazier came off a good year, got two years. Uh, that's the kind of thing that's going to go on. And, and I think there's probably value in teams. I think that's why the Giants will sign one of these these free agents, because there's, there's value in the fact that there's not much risk in a three-year contract. 
You know, that's what we used to give relievers. We used to give relievers a three-year contract because in year two, if it didn't work out, by the end of it, you'd cut them. That was Affelt's last contract, right? Yeah, right. You know, that's that used to be kind of the reward contract, the, the sort of bottom shelf contract. But now if you're talking about Josh Donaldson getting one year, and you're talking about Mike Moustakis getting two or three years, then they become, I think, valuable they, they, because you, you can extricate yourself of the, of, the, of the situation quickly. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more flexible. What do you think happens with Harper? I think he probably gets like a 10-year deal that sounds like $300 million, but there's two or three opt-outs in it, mm-hmm. and he might even opt out you know, early in that deal and get more money later. I mean, Justin Upton got those opt-outs. There's a, the, the, the top guys get a, a big number that, they're, that, they're, uh, GM, that they're, their agents can say, hey, I got him $300 million, uh, and the opt-outs give the GM a chance to say to the owner, it's okay, you know, He's probably only going to be here for three years and $100 million. Uh, is it a, any kind of problem for the Giants that they don't have a general manager yet going into the winter meetings, or is this something that they can afford to wait? And maybe it's better because you've got a manager who's you know, probably on his swan song, and maybe you wait until the GM gets his guy in. Well, it's pretty old school. I mean, we used to we used to have one or two guys that, that made all the decisions. Right. right. Uh, but now there's uh, there's been a creep, a, a, a title creep, mm-hmm. in front offices yeah. where there are now presidents and vice presidents of baseball operations and GMs and AGMs. And you, some of the AGMs are doing deals, and some of them are, are signing smaller deals, and some of the GMs are, are just sort of uh, the trades guys. So I think um, for one year it's probably doable because he can just uh, focus on getting his mind around exactly what the plan is, not really delegating and just kind of, uh, and you know, Saban's probably, as much as he's taking a back seat, he can, he can you know, help him on some level, uh, at least with contacts. One of the things that's underrated is when, you, when you're talking about trades, if you ever, I, I had a map of trades once where we just mapped out all the trades between teams and there are, there are patterns. There are, there are, you know, Billy Bean has, uh, certain teams that he's traded with a lot in the past. You can actually sort of map it out. Uh, he, he traded a lot with, he traded some with Houston, and then Stearns went to Milwaukee, and then he was making trades with Milwaukee. They actually traded one player, Jacob Nottingham, was an Astro. Stearns traded Nottingham to the A's, and then went to the Brewers and traded for Nottingham. Wow. Uh, I think that was in the Davis trade or something. But so uh, uh, there, there are definitely who's in your Rolodex matters. Mm-hmm. And so even if Sabian is not um, making the trades, he might make a call mm-hmm. uh, because he might know people on the Yankees, for example, and maybe Farhan's never made a deal with the Yankees. So there, there'll be some help there and, um, and, and maybe also some autonomy where uh, Farhan feels like he's, he's, he's making the decisions and he's got, he knows where he's going with everything. Yeah, it gets his uh, imprint on the team. They've had a little something going with the race, you know, the last couple of years. And I think it's a, it's a people business and you, you trust somebody and you've had deals with them. You feel like you haven't gotten ripped off. Then you are more likely to go back to, to those guys. But the Brewers, I think, are an intriguing one. And the Giants have made a deal with the Brewers recently, too. It was at uh, Susac couple years ago right that's right that's right yeah and I think the with a, some of these teams we're talking about teams that have smaller budgets uh, that where it makes sense you mm-hmm. know it's like okay I'm willing to take on a little bit more money because we're the Giants and we've got this we've got a good payroll and you 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 want the younger player one of the problems is the Giants don't have a lot of minor league pieces so how bad is the farm system? Let's put it that way. It's pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> some of it is not their fault because if you don't, if you actually look at a graph of value with respect to picks, 
the first five picks in the draft are where the superstars come from. They really do. And the bust rate on those guys is really low. And it's, yes, there have been Ben Grieve types that didn't work out. But mostly in the top five, you're talking about Bryce Harper and Mike Trout and those guys. Top 10 is really good. Top 15, eh. Top 20, eh. And then when you're talking about 20 through 30, where the Giants were picking for a long time, uh, you're really you're, you're talking about a one in three chance or one in one in five chance that they even turn into a big league. Panic guys like that. Yeah, 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 and usually not necessarily superstar, more of like a regular. So some of that's that, uh, but I think some of that might be um, I don't know, maybe just some sort of falling behind somehow. I know for one thing that the the international uh, component has been lacking. And, I, and, and it might be because they're not willing to do some of the underhanded things that other teams are willing to do. We saw, for example, that John Coppolella got banned from baseball for doing all that stuff in Atlanta. He has a great team in the major leagues right now built on all that funky stuff he was doing. Uh, the Red Sox got in trouble, and they have a great bevy of young international players that, that fueled, you know, in trades too, Juan Mancata, the guys like that. Right. You know, they had a lot of international prospects that helped them at times when their draft uh, picks were kind of lower. So, uh, you know, it's kind of the Wild Wild West out there a little bit. There, there's an FBI situation now, and the Dodgers are in trouble now. So, uh, you know, the question then becomes, do we jump in? Do we find a way to, to make headways internationally without, uh, without being, you know, without doing what everyone else is doing? Uh, that, I, that's a little bit of a black box to me. I don't know exactly how teams, if there are teams that are doing really well there without doing uh, shenanigans, but that's a big question for them. Wasn't that part of uh, why they kind of reassigned Sabian? He wanted to give them a better profile in the international market. And now, of course, he's back here because they kind of need his institutional knowledge. But uh, that is a, a weakness for them. I mean, you know, the one guy that we've heard about in the last couple of years is Lucius Fox, and they traded him. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, the major win, I would say, is like Gregor Blanco, which almost doesn't count because he was a, a veteran that had gone over to the Winter Leagues there. That's more of a, a, veteran, a veteran spotting than it is a, a, a young signing. You know, we'll see. We'll see. They have, a, a, you know, some nice young guys that they signed in the last class uh, that have a chance. But uh, they're definitely a step behind. A couple more minutes here with Eno Saris at The Athletic. And... One of the issues you look at with the Giants is the division they're in, and the Dodgers are pretty well baked in with the talent that they have. Uh, the Padres, and I don't know how closely a lot of fans follow this, but their minor league system is rated right there at the top. So yeah. you'd, have, you'd think eventually that's going to bear fruit. Uh, the Diamondbacks are kind of in a transitional situation like right now. The Rockies certainly have a lot of talent, but... Uh, there, there are a few rungs to climb up the ladder before they get back to where they need to be. Yeah, and the Padres are now rumored to be going after Noah Syndergaard, so they, yeah. they, I think they're feeling like they're close, and they, mm-hmm. they need to start acquiring major league talent for some of their, their prospects to fit with guys like Fernando Tatis that are they're on their way up. Um, and they've got some interesting young players. They also have like a kind of a Miss Island of Misfit Toys uh, team right now where they have way too many outfielders. They were putting Will Myers at third. They're trying whatever it is to kind of make that roster work. But it is the kind of thing where a trade or two or a signing or two can all of a sudden, you know, put everything into focus. Uh, I, I think the Eric Hosmer deal was a really bad one for them. And it, it looked bad from the beginning. And now, you know, they're, they're trying to do something with Myers. And first basemen don't have much trade value. So if Myers is a first baseman to other people, they're not going to get much back for him. 
So it's, uh, that's a little bit weird. They've shot themselves in the foot a couple times. You know, AJ Preller's big first jump in, I think, shot themselves in the foot a little bit where they, they acquired Justin Upton and Craig Kimbrell, and they spent a lot of prospects to, to make a big bang, and that set them back a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, the Dodgers at some point have to take a step back. They did get Walker Bueller, and they have, you know, some – and Corey Seager that does provide them some, some youth – but, you know, Justin Turner's getting older. There's definitely some bats that are getting older. Cody Bellinger, is he an exciting building piece or is he just a kind of a, a role player? So there's, there's some uh, – I think the Giants will take a step back. I, I, they'll they'll look, keep an eye on the future. And I think the reason they'll keep an eye on the future is because I think in any given year, we're coming to a point where the, the West will be wild. It'll be – uh, you won't know who's going to win. Uh, it may not be this year. This year looks pretty much you'd still call the Dodgers a favorite. But a year when they get older and the Padres sort of coalesce and the Diamondbacks start selling. They're talking about selling Don, uh, uh, not Donaldson. They're starting, uh, selling Goldschmidt, selling Granke. You know, they're, they're thinking about taking a step back. I think pretty soon you're going to find that it's one of the most competitive divisions in baseball. One more thing because you were talking about the international shenanigans Mm -hmm. and the FBI and, listen, uh, giving donations to questionable senators. And Mm. a lot of that is about lobbying. We know that. It's about minor league salaries. It's Mm. about antitrust. It's about gambling and all this different stuff. But um, do you see, because of what's happened recently, Major League Baseball is going to try to tighten this up? Or is it still going to be so competitive that it's going to be tough to stop some of this stuff? Yeah, um, they, they, I think they had a, high, a couple high-profile lobbying wins, baseball did, in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. I mean, they, they defined, basically defined the minor league work week as a 40-hour work week mm-hmm. and defined them as seasonal apprentices. So there's no, uh, there's really, it's really hard for minor leaguers now to make any sort of legal action mm-hmm. to try and get more pay. Yeah, because that, now, That's the lobbying money they're helping right. out. Yeah. They, they got their wins. Yeah. Uh, the CBA, though, is coming up, uh, and antitrust is one of those things that they always kind of, the antitrust exemption is always one of those things they have to maintain, and, and they're going to have to grease some coffers of some people to, to, to maintain the term antitrust exemption, which allows them to be the only game in town, the only, you know, and allows them to do a lot of things labor-wise and collectively bargain and all that. But um, I definitely think that there's some labor strife coming that with the way that the market has gone the last couple of years. We've actually seen some deflation, I think, in the free agency market. And players are going to see that and say, well, my reward for playing for you under market rate in arbitration and all this, my reward used to be free agency, but now you're not really rewarding us in free agency anymore. And you're giving us two-year deals and three years. And there's, there's no middle class anymore uh, in terms of, of free agency. So I think there's labor strife coming. If there's labor strife coming, they need to lobby because there will be a legal component. There's almost always a legal component to labor strife. Right. You know, the, the union can decertify. There's all these things the union can do to kind of, if they decertify, they can get out of the collective bargaining experience and then try to challenge the antitrust exemption. That's a, that's a thing that happens when there's labor strife. So there's a reason to continue to grease the coffers of people that matter. They'll, they'll, they'll probably make uh, some sort of a stance that says, like, they've already said stuff like, we're going to monitor this closely, we're going to make sure that we don't give to the wrong people, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, uh, I have my, we have our political leanings in the Bay Area, and that went counter to the, the most recent donation of the Giants owner. 
but generally, you know, people kind of have different opinions uh, politically. So who's the wrong person to get money to uh, is kind of sometimes a matter of the moment. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will say, though, I saw the list, the full list of who they gave donations to. And there are some names that I looked for that are definitely not on there. Um, this guy Duncan in San Diego, who is under indictment right Duncan now. Hunter, yeah. Duncan Hunter, he's under indictment right now. They didn't give him money. <laughs> so they do care on some level, and this might open their eyes to caring a little bit more. A little bit more. But uh, they're always going to be giving political, political money. Just real quick, because I, I know you wrote about this recently at The Athletic. Part of your childhood you spent in Germany. Mm-hmm. So baseball was part of growing up there and part of adapting when you get to, to different uh, communities. And that was definitely the case for, for me and my son because we moved up to the Bay Area when he was about 10 and he got right into the baseball scene and he made friends that way. Uh-huh. So I, apparently you and Max Kepler are kindred spirits. Yeah, we did an interview in German. I, this, this really annoyed me. My recorder wasn't on at the end of it. Oh, man. <clears throat> I, I said a, a swear word in German. <clears throat> but, um, you can say it here. Yeah, <laughs> scheiße. <laughs> uh, but uh, one thing that I think is kind of cool about baseball as a sport is that I've said this in the piece is that it's, it's, a, it's a one-on-one game masquerading as a team sport. And I think that actually makes it uniquely set up for taking different types of people. Think about the bad news bears, you know? Yeah. It's like you can be your own personality because there's still the moment where it's mano y mano. There's the pitcher versus the hitter. Uh, there's you versus getting the ball to first. There's a lot of these one-on-one moments um, you know, we talk about an assist in baseball. An assist in baseball is when the shortstop throws it to the first baseman. That's what we define as an assist. That is not at all a team function in the same way of an assist in basketball. Right. Which, which where there's everyone's moving around in different directions, setting screens, right. and you know, so. Or the hockey assist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are different kinds of assists. So I think that you know something about that uh, that one-on-one but team. Uh, aspect makes it a really cool thing for kids because you can kind of like I, I was weird I was curly haired a German Jamaican uh, but I knew a little bit about baseball and I had cards and so I was like part of the team but also allowed myself to be weird uh, and I think that if you kind of look at any baseball team you'll have your characters uh, you'll have your quiet types you'll have different really different types of people uh, and yet you know they get on the field and they can they come together well, hell, you have Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, there's your spectrum right there. So that, that is what makes it cool. Yeah. And, you know, you have Hunter Pence. And it, listen, his skills declined the last couple of years. But I think that's one of the reasons he got so much appreciation at the end, because he was an individual yeah. in a team sport and very much a team player. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and one of the best motivators I've ever seen, but at the same time, just wild and wacky. I did a whole thing about his on-base, his on-deck yeah. routine that thing was ridiculous yeah. i mean <laughs> what was that i asked him once i said do you know how weird you look <laughs> and he said he said uh i didn't for a long time but then my teammates made me watch uh the the jumbotron one time when i was <laughs> oh boy yeah. yeah so he know he knew how weird he looked but uh he was a, he's a great character and uh that, that's another thing about baseball is i love just meeting all these different guys. Gregor Blanco was one of my favorite guys to cover because he was just Terrific a guy. solid dude, just a nice, quiet guy. Uh, Jeff Samarja's, you know, almost Jeff Spicoli. You know, he's just like uh, sticking the hair behind his ears. And mm-hmm. at the same time, he, you know, he thinks I'm a nerd, but he's willing to talk to me about, you know, anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buster Posey's the most stand-up, you know, 
America's child kind of guy, you know? And then Bumgarner's out there doing the snot rockets and yelling at everybody. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I, that, they all have their own character on the mound. And no, no one's, like, in football, once they have their helmets on, you have no idea who's out there. Right. You know, I mean, maybe with style of play with a running back or something, but, uh, and in basketball, they're all kind of, there's positionless basketball, so now everyone's almost like six foot, you know, six foot seven, six foot eight, and everybody's yeah. a wing who shoots a three. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but in baseball, you still have guys throwing from, you know, knuckles scraping on the dirt, where you know, to to way over the top. You got guys throwing a hundred, guys throwing seventy. You know, it's it's a fun yeah. sport. Well, I do appreciate the Warriors' personalities. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's that's an interesting bunch. They kind of go across the spectrum, but. Uh, we'll pour one out for 100 pins to uh, right. to wrap it up here. You know, thanks for uh, joining us today, and uh, especially for the introduction to sour beer. Yeah, and thanks to Rare Barrel for letting us hang out here. Oh, great spot. You guys should come by, and thanks to you for having me on, Ray. You bet. Thanks, Eno. And a reminder, we are part of the Blue Wire podcast family. It's a family that's growing by the day in city after city. It includes the Kevin Jones podcast on the 49ers. And this week, Kevin weighs in on the Reuben Foster debacle. And by the way, Reuben Foster signing right, right away with the Washington Redskins after the 49ers cut him loose. So there you go. Kevin will uh, talk about that in his latest podcast, which uh, just dropped. Uh, the Blue Wire podcast family can be found at bluewirepods.com, as luck would have it. Thanks again to uh, Eno Saris of The Athletic uh, for joining us. And I think we'll count Eno Saris on the list of people we'd like to have back on Triple's Alley Report. And we'll do that as we get closer to the season. Now, as we said at the start of the podcast, Giants co-owner Charles Johnson has asked the campaign of Mississippi U.S. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith to return a $5,400 donation he and his wife made. This after Hyde Smith said at a rally that if a local rancher invited her to a public hanging, she'd be there in the front row. A remark that hit the ears of many in Mississippi and elsewhere in the country in a very negative way. When you consider that Mississippi had the most lynchings of any state, 581 reported cases between 1882 and 1968. Hyde Smith has also been recorded on tape making a joke about keeping liberal students from voting. She was once photographed wearing a Confederate soldier's cap and holding a rifle at the home and library of Confederate President Jefferson Davis, and her caption to the photo on Facebook read, Mississippi history at its best. She once introduced a bill to rename a stretch of highway, what it was called back in the 1930s, Jefferson Davis Memorial Highway, a way to honor a traitor. A Mississippi newspaper also reported that in 1970, Hyde Smith attended a private high school, one of many formed in Mississippi, so parents could avoid attempts to integrate schools. Not only that, but she sent her daughter to a so-called segregation academy. In her debate with Democratic opponent Mike Espy, Hyde Smith said she apologized to anyone offended by the public hanging comment, but she thought her comment was twisted and turned into a weapon against her that was just a joke. So basically a non-apology and then a declaration of victimhood. Taken in a vacuum, the public hanging combat is at very best gross and incredibly tone deaf. Taken in light of a pattern we just talked about, it's disgusting and a complete embarrassment. It's not about politics or left and right. It's about right and wrong. Joking about public hanging and voter suppression reeks of Jim Crow. It's unacceptable in this country. So Charles Johnson faced blowback for this campaign donation a month after he asked a political action committee to refund $1,000 he donated, a group that ran deceptive radio ads which said black people could be lynched if they support Democrats and don't vote for a Republican candidate. 
Well, after that controversy, Johnson said he rejected any form of racism, didn't know the money would be used for such a purpose, and asked that it be returned. In his latest apology, through his attorney, Johnson said he wasn't aware of the controversy surrounding Hyde Smith when he made the donation, although it was received several days after the video of the public hanging comment became public. Johnson's statement again, stressing that he strongly condemns any form of racism, and he asked for the contribution to be returned. He added his political donations are his own and have no affiliation with the Giants or any other company. He's not the only one asking for his money back. So did Major League Baseball and several other companies. But once again, Johnson's political donation has put the team in a very tough position. And not that it matters right now, but this additional controversy happens at the same time the Giants want to start luring back season ticket holders after two losing seasons. Larry Bear issued a statement denouncing racism, touting the team's inclusiveness, and saying they can't influence the political beliefs of more than 30 owners. And that's true. Owners will donate where they choose. But it's not cool when they leave their teams to answer for their poor choices, at least at first. And Cindy Hyde-Smith was an exceedingly poor choice. Again, I can't presume to tell fans what to do, but they have the choice to vote with their pocketbooks. Some fans have told me they won't spend another dollar on the Giants until Johnson is gone. Again, that's probably not going to happen unless there was overwhelming reaction. And these are fans reacting to me on Twitter today. We'll see what happens over time. Others wanted him to get the money back, but some say a statement through his attorney isn't enough. He must give a more direct apology. Well, here's my view. If you think Johnson is the only sports owner making these kinds of uh, contributions, you're mistaken. It may have been a response to a request by the Republican Party to donate to candidates in close races to help push them over the finish line. But MLB, Johnson, and others have to do a better job of vetting these donations. If it's true they aren't aware of what a candidate said, they got to pay better attention, especially nowadays when we are seeing more extremist candidates. Otherwise, you are directly insulting a significant segment of your fan base in a deeply immoral way. And when you react after public backlash, people have a right to question your motives a second time. During a debate, Espy said to Hyde Smith, I don't know what's in your heart, but I know what came out of your mouth. To Charles Johnson, I would say, I don't know what's in your heart, but I know where your money goes. He's got to work harder to dispel that notion and that image. In the meantime, I can reiterate that Johnson's views and or his donations have not affected how inclusive the Giants have become in their day-to-day -day operations. Major League Baseball, that's another story. They also tout their inclusiveness. They talk about how they're trying to attract more black players to the game. And right now, MLB has egg on its face. A total of $10,000 in donations this year to Hyde Smith, money it also wants back, after the public outcry, of course, as did other corporations, conscious of public relations. Well, if that's what it takes, so be it. MLB said the donation was in connection with an event its lobbyists were asked to attend. MLB sent money to other senators across the political spectrum, too. Now, for them, it's probably more about lobbying on issues like the treasured antitrust exemption, gambling, and tax laws. But maybe this episode will cause MLB to more closely monitor where the money is going. The money sometimes goes through a labyrinth before reaching its destination, but MLB can no longer claim ignorance. This also spotlights the, the rotten mess that campaign financing has become in this country, but that's just infected public policy at its very core. It's probably an issue for somebody else's podcast. But Charles Johnson, he can cart out his attorney or his attorney can blame an assistant, but the buck stops with him literally and figuratively, and in this case, the bug should stop. By the way, Cindy Hyde-Smith defeated Mike Espy tonight.
That's Triple's Alley Report. We'll talk to you next week.